Hi, it's Friday, July 22nd. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. On July 20th, on a website called nature.com, an article was published based on a study done by a group of scientists, and the article is titled The Serotonin Theory of Depression, a Systematic Umbrella Review of the Evidence. The reason that I'm fascinated with this article is because in it, it mentions that in a scientific journal called Molecular Psychiatry, the results of this study, which was a long-standing study based on a theory of mental depression, which itself is based on this concept of serotonin insufficiency in the brain being caused or being the cause of depression, has virtually little to no evidence to support this theory. The study concluded, and I'm going to quote, that serotonin hypothesis of depression has no consistent evidence despite its popularity among psychiatrists for decades. The researchers said further in that article that a broad review of multiple studies, not just their study, but multiple studies, failed to establish a claim that lack of serotonin in the human brain is a cause of depression. And the scientific journal which published the article, the article itself, or the results of the study of these scientists, ends this way, quote, we suggest it's time to acknowledge that the serotonin theory of depression is not empirically substantiated. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about the millions upon millions, tens, maybe hundreds, who even knows, of millions of people who have been prescribed multiple types of medication based upon this now shown-to-be-false premise that insufficient serotonin in the brain is the cause of depression. You know, after Heath Ledger's overdose, the actor Heath Ledger, who played the Joker in the Batman movies, the last um, Batman movie, I guess it was, or the next to last, I did several radio interviews where I was the guest. And on one of those national radio interviews, I talked about the overprescribing of tranquilizers and antidepressants and antipsychotics, and particularly SSRI drugs, which stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. Think Prozac. Prozac is an SSRI category drug. SSRI antidepressants are a type of antidepressant that work with increasing levels of serotonin in the brain. Now, that's exactly what Prozac is used for, and now we know from these studies that it has absolutely no basis in empirical fact, that there is no connection, causal connection, between a lack of serotonin and depression, and yet millions and multiple millions of people have been on these drugs that have absolutely horrific side effects. It's why, after practicing law for 15 years and seeing three of my female clients who were put on Prozac during the divorce process by their physicians behave in the most bizarre ways, one of whom crashed her vehicle into a tree and said she just like went berserk while she was driving. The other two had similarly 
outrageous and erratic behaviors while they were on Prozac. It's why I have had a personally very negative approach to that drug. It's why, despite a variety of veterinarians who have wanted to put either in the past my dog or currently my cat on Prozac for behavioral problems, I declined every single time to allow those animals to be put on Prozac. And I told those vets at the time why. I said I saw humans on Prozac who could express what they were experiencing. I hardly want to put an animal on when we virtually have no knowledge of what that animal is experiencing in its brain as a result of these brain-altering drugs. So... My question is about the pharmaceutical companies and their profits, because the way I look at it, there is a much greater threat to mental health and to loss of life as a result of improperly prescribed and legally prescribed mental health related drugs than there are from guns. Yet the political agenda is to go after the guns, not the drugs, not the pharmaceutical companies, not those people pushing these drugs. You know, I couldn't understand until I started to think about follow the money, why it wasn't that the same passion and fervor that's directed at the catastrophically legally sanctioned dispensing of unnecessary and harmful drugs applied to the pharmaceutical companies as it is to the gun manufacturers. So I did a little research. In March of 2020, Newsweek magazine had an article called Big Pharma Companies Earn More Profits Than Most Other Industries, studies suggest. And in that article, it noted that between 2000 and 2018, 35 big pharma companies had combined revenues of $11.5 trillion with gross profit of over $8.6 trillion, which was twice as high as it was for 357 other companies that were non-pharma companies in the S&P 500. Now, while the Newsweek article only tracked profits until 2018, because the article was written in 2020, In 2019, 4,311 prescription drugs saw price hikes with an average increase at 21% or greater. So they clearly made more money after the 2020 article than they had up to that point. Let's look at gun manufacturers' profits. From January to June of 2020, Remember, that's COVID. From January to June of 2020, the gun manufacturers had a $221 million loss during that period. However, in 2021, the gun manufacturers had a $599 million profit. But remember something. The 35 big pharma companies had profits from 2000 to 2018 
of 11.5 trillion combined and gross profit of 8.6 trillion. So here's what I did. If you took the banner year for gun manufacturers profits of 599 million in 2021, and you gave them that same profit margin, that banner year of $599 million for the same 18-year period that we have the big pharma profits, then the end result for the gun manufacturers would be their banner year multiplied by 18. So the gun manufacturers would have made theoretically over that same 18-year period a total of $10 billion in profits. Big Pharma made $11 trillion during that 18-year period. Now, I am certain that during that 18-year period, prescription drugs did a lot more damage and killed more people than did guns. So why don't the politicians care about the pharma industry with the same fervor? And as I said earlier, follow the money. Let's look at the lobbying money. Between 1999 and 2018, Big Pharma spent $64.3 billion lobbying Congress on behalf of the pharmaceutical companies. That comes out to a yearly average of $233 million a year spent by the pharmaceutical companies on average to lobby Congress in their behalf. The three largest pro-gun organizations, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, the NRA, and the Gun Owners of America in 2021 spent $15.8 million lobbying Congress. Let's compare pharma spent $233 million and the gun lobbies spent $15.8. If you want to know why our elected officials are silent on the abuses by big pharma, there it is. Follow the money. I want to look back at what is the overriding message. What's the takeaway from that study I started this podcast with? regarding the lack of evidence that serotonin insufficiently equals depression. And I think the overriding message from that study is the difference between science and the science. We heard a lot about the science during COVID, and we hear a lot about the science during all of the clamor about climate change. But here's the thing. Science is by definition ever-changing. Its literal definition is the observation, identification, description, experimental investigation, and theoretical explanation of phenomenon. The science is a static, politicized effort to push a particular agenda. And the two best examples are what I started with, COVID and climate change. We were told to believe the science throughout the entire COVID pandemic, but the science made no sense because masks were the answer and then masks were ineffective. 
the vaccine would keep you from getting COVID, but the vaccine didn't keep you from getting COVID. Boosters were necessary, but people who got boosters got COVID. It goes on and on. Therapeutics that were shown by reputable physicians who were experts in their fields of virology and epidemiology were made to look like quack remedies. The science was not about science. It was about political agenda. The American Enterprise Institute is a public policy think tank that's based in Washington, D.C. In an article on their website from September 20th of 2018, titled, 50 Years of Failed Doomsday Eco-Pocalyptic Predictions, the so-called experts are zero for 50. I want to give you just a very few, maybe 10 or less examples of predictions that were made by, quote, experts between 1989 and 2009 about the climate and what was happening. 1989, rising sea levels will obliterate nations if nothing is done by 2000. 1989, New York City's West Side Highway underwater by 2019. 2000, children won't know what snow is. 2002, famine in 10 years if we don't give up eating fish, meat, and dairy. 2004, Britain will be Siberia by 2024. 2008, Arctic will be ice-free by 2018. 2008, the climate genius Al Gore predicts ice-free Arctic by 2013. In 2009, the other climate genius, Prince Charles, said, we have 96 months to change the world. I repeat, that was 2009. Again in 2009, the Prime Minister of Britain said there were 50 days to save the planet from catastrophe. And in 2009, resurrecting our climate genius Al Gore one more time said that the 2013 prediction of ice-free Arctic was moved to 2014. Science is hypothesis. It is investigation. It is conclusions that are based upon ever-changing data input. Without the flexibility and the openness and the willingness to accept change, it's not science. It's dogma and doctrine and forced acceptance of unchallengeable belief. That's not science, folks. That's religion. And that's why the COVID and the climate proponents who claim they have the science behind them are no more than religious zealots. This is why I think for myself. It's why after overdosing on doctor-prescribed antidepressants at age 24, I never again in my life have taken one single mind-altering pill since that day, regardless of any recommendation any physician made. And obviously, I overdosed, and I've talked about this in prior podcasts, because I suffered from depression. 
But when I, number one, look back and believe that I even attempted suicide to begin with, not only because of my chronic depression, but because I had just come off of antidepressants. And we now know that coming off of antidepressants can be a trigger for suicidal thoughts. So not only do I look back and believe that a factor in my attempted suicide was in fact drug-related, but I also know that after that occurrence and my survival of that attempt, I made up my mind that I was going to figure out how to deal with depression, which never goes away. It's arrested, never cured. It's like alcoholism. I would learn how to deal with it through lifestyle and through methods such as meditation, my connection to God through my spiritual connection, through physical exercise, through proper dieting. And I have done that for decades of my life ever since with great success. It's why after seeing the behavior of my three female divorce clients on Prozac, I refuse to ever even give it to my dog or my cat, despite the multiple times that the professionals, the experts, the vet has recommended it, telling me how safe it is that how many studies they've done. I don't care how many studies they did. I want to know how many cats or dogs they had a conversation with who told them what they felt like when they were given those mind-altering drugs or what the world looked like to those animals looking out of those eyes from the brain that had been altered artificially. And it's why, while I respect the earth tremendously and all of its human and non-human life forms, and I treat it all with dignity to the best of my ability, it's why I refuse to feel responsible or panic over historical claims that we're all going to die unless we switch to electric cars and wind turbines. And it's why I do this podcast three days a week to talk with you and encourage you to do the same, to think for yourself. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again on Monday. Have a great weekend and think for yourself.